Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 137 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hi. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan is the sound recordist. Hello. All right, great. (laughs) We got through that. (laughs) Everything's normal. I've realized as we record this podcast where I always regret making a joke during that section (laughs) when I listen to it back. (laughs) So... Mm. I'm going to try to only do it if I have something really good. So I do have some shame to report. I'm just going to put it out there from the beginning. Oh, I have shame too. <gasps> good. Andrew, do you have any shame? I have shame too. Uh, hooray. Couple We're shame. just embracing it now. Everyone's ashamed of themselves. Same, same, shame. Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go, I'll go first then because I probably have the most. Shame <clears throat> of books. <laughs> I went back to the library book sale where I went a year ago um, and came home with six books that inspired the podcast. Like I came home and I was like, oh, gosh, I have to get through these books, hence making the podcast. So I went back to this book sale um, and picked up seven new books. Wow. So I've I've undone everything, guys, because we started at 125. We even have these promotional bookmarks. Just a quick story. Dylan and I were recently at Austin Film Festival handing out these promotional bookmarks, and I kept looking at the number on the back where it's like, Bailey has 125 books. I'm like, oh, that number is woefully out of date. Yep. A year in, it's 137, and I just got seven more. And you're reading a book every two weeks. Like, they're not not reading, you know. Dang. They just keep going up. And just to clarify, guys, really great sale because... Dollar hardcover, 50 cent paperback, 25 cent classic, and mm. it all goes to the library. That is good. Can't, I, mean, I can't be ashamed about that. Well, the pricing structure is not for you to be ashamed of. It's the you buying more books. That's to be ashamed of. Yeah, never has this podcast been about the money we've spent on books. That's a different matter <laughs> entirely. True. Yeah. I don't want to think about that. That's how a more much bleak podcast. All right, so I got Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. This came out this past year. Brand new copy. Pretty cool. Everybody's talking about it. So that's a dollar hardback. Yeah, exactly. I got French Exit by Patrick DeWitt, who did The Sisters Brothers. I've read that one. It's good. Awesome. Fahrenheit 451. I've never read it. Ooh. 25 cents. Yeah, that's a good book. There you go. I got Difficult Women by Roxane Gay. Mm-hmm. This book called The Love Affairs of Nathaniel P. This one came out a few years ago. Reviews are mixed, but I like the cover, and it was a dollar. That's the most expensive one they had. Well, art books were $2. I did not oh, get any so, art books. Oh, wow. I didn't Good say for that. you. You didn't buy any gigantic art books. And then I got one called My Best Friend's Exorcism. Super psyched for that. That sounds good, actually. And then The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Uh, this one was really popular on yeah. Instagram by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Should be good. I just finished um, Daisy Jones and the Six. Oh, did I really you like en- it? I really enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah, so this one was her book right before that. So so that's my shame. Toby, why don't you go next? Um, I will okay. I will confess my shame. And it, it is pretty shameful because I really made it happen. <laughs> um, as I mentioned, Dylan and I went to the Austin Film Festival together. We spent a long weekend just hanging out, doing yeah. film festival stuff, learning about podcasts and scripts and stuff. It was really cool. On the way out, we got stuck where our flight got rerouted. We got stuck in an airport overnight in this random place. I had not brought enough reading material. I finished both books that I had brought with me uh, for the trip on that plane journey. And then from then on, I was desperate to, I was like, oh, well, it looks like I'm stuck here without (laughs) a book. I have to go to the used bookstore or like any bookstore. And I think 
the the most egregious. And it's like the thing is, is I didn't really have time. Mm-hmm. We were busy the whole weekend. It was a lot of running around, a lot of stuff to go to. So I kept like trying to go and then not having time. <laughs> uh, I really, really wanted to make it happen, even though it was like I didn't really need a book. Uh, one, my biggest shame is that I walked Dylan like 20 minutes down the street yeah. towards the bookstore at, at like eight in the morning because I was like, I really want to get a book. And then I looked at my phone on like on the directions and I was like, oh, it's not open until 9.45. <laughs> and so we couldn't even get there. Yep. Uh, after all that, I bought uh, a copy of The Overstory by Richard Powers in the airport on the way out. I made it happen. There you go. I'm really enjoying it. It won the Pulitzer Prize last year. It's really, really good so far. Awesome. That's not that shameful. That's one book that, that you're currently no, but reading. It's, but it's shameful in like how bad I tried to make it happen, where I was mm. just like, I could have just relaxed and been like, I have plenty to do. I don't necessarily need a book right now. Yeah. I disagree. Did you pay a dollar for it? <laughs> no, I had to pay 20 whole dollars. Nobody. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be, I mean, basically, I bought 20 bucks. There you go. <laughs> All right, Andrew, what's your shame? Um, yes. So I also have shame. I yesterday went on sort of a a fun day with a bunch of friends. Somehow we ended up in a bookstore. Um, (laughs) We ended up in McNally Jackson in downtown New York. And I bought two books. I bought a copy of Sadie to read. So that'll go on my to read list, Mm. but we probably won't discuss it on the podcast. Uh, And I also bought From Hell by Alan Moore. So I'm excited to check that bad boy out. And as a bonus piece of shame, uh, Jillian picked up a copy of The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay, which I don't know a lot about, but I hear is pretty good. So I'm also going to throw that on the list. Supposed to be good. Hey, Dylan, how's Harry Potter number seven? Going great. All right. So let's check in with Dylan's cupboard under the stairs. Last cupboard, I <laughs> left us in a cliffhanger where they just got that message at the wedding that the ministry has fallen. Scrimger, 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 Scrimger is dead. And uh, yeah, just skedaddle, get out of there. They're coming. Okay. So they do skedaddle. They skedaddle to uh, Tottenham Circle Road, Tottenham Court Road. Yep. Okay. Um, I have a question. Does J.K. Rowling use skedaddle as much as you have? <laughs> yes. It's a spell. <laughs> Ooh, it, in Dylan's defense, it does sound um, like a spell. That would be a good spell. Yeah. So they're chilling around a diner, trying to uh, figure out what their next things are going to be. Sorry. And this is just Hermione, Ron, and Harry. The crew. Yep. The crew. So inside Hermione's really well packed bag, uh, she has a bunch of. <laughs> she had a bug out bag ready to go, so she has a good oh, bunch of clothes. Hermione is a prepper. Uh-oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think she's just the kind of person who has a purse that has everything in it that you need at any Bailey time. Bailey is a prepper as well. How dare! <laughs> um, but uh, while they're talking, they're attacked by two Death Eaters who have names but are described as blonde, one blonde and one tall. So that's how I'm going to remember them as because. They said like, oh, I remember them during the death of Dumbledore and a bunch of other stuff too. And it's like, I do not. So I do not need to commit these names to memory because they get knocked out pretty fast. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I mentioned this before, like spell fights are done pretty well because a lot of fantasy books, I cannot keep track of like the spells people know and describing it. Mm-hmm. But it, it was kind of cool, like um, how certain spells tie people down and mm-hmm. like how they uh, can like cast people and knock them around. So that was nice. It helps that... In all the Wizarding World, everyone only seems to know about eighteen yeah. spells. Yeah, like and that. that and there's always... only one death spell. Well, yeah. 
And speaking of that, uh, there also happens to be a waitress there that I, and in the movies, I remember thinking this too. And I think in the book, they kind of describe it like how much the wizarding world bumps up against the human world, Mm -hmm. where it's like, it's pretty amazing that this whole thing happening is happening in the human world right now. And nobody notices except this one waitress who's probably going to have PTSD from this, except they use the memory spell on all of them to forget it. Very convenient. Like Men in Black. It's exactly like Men in Black. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. They even clean up the place after they leave. Mm-hmm. Nice. Because okay. Hermione's nice about it. But they um, they realize they have to go back to the one place that might be able to have the locket of Slytherin, which I totally remember is a Horcrux. So you're talking about Regulus Black's uh, locket? Yep. Regulus Black's not locket that also happens to look suspiciously like the Slytherin locket because they keep talking about switching the lockets a lot. Uh huh. Um, so they go to Grim Old Place. We have our favorite exposition machine, um, the house elf, to come in oh, yeah. and explain what <gasps> happened. My creature. favorite character. Creature? Creature. Creature is your favorite character? I love creature. Why? Creature. I like creature because I like characters that are kind of like evil and creepy. And he is, well, a, very, he is a very evil, creepy dude. And the fact that he just hates working for Harry, and he hates Sirius, and he loved Regulus, except he didn't realize Regulus might have been a good guy, so then he would have hated him. I don't know. Creature's very an emotionally complex character. Yeah, exactly. But they talk about the fact that they had to go on that tiny little boat in the river uh, that I totally remember. Which you totally remember because you totally finished book six. I totally finished book six. I totally remember the ghosts that have those names. Inferi. Uh, the Inferi, of course. And the poison they had to drink. Oh, sounds disgusting. Sounds so gross. And that's what got Regulus. Uh-huh. Um, and he talks about how Regulus did that uh, so that they could get um, the Horcrux back into the locket. And then they switched the locket out. So then the, that means the real locket is in the Ministry of Magic. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Because they're trying to destroy all the Horcruxes. Yes. Okay. I love the idea that someone really has never read Harry Potter but loves this section only. We're like, great. Look, random listener that it's doesn't like, a like bad Harry Potter. Spark notes that Harry doesn't Potter. like Harry Potter. I am not your guide to this world. <laughs> well, thank you, Dylan. Thank you for that lovely update. And hope to check in with you soon. I kind of want Dylan to just finish the book and give me the rest of his impression. I feel like Dylan's punishment is slowly punishing us. And yes. I don't know yeah. that's <laughs> how punishment should work. If I have to suffer, we all have to suffer. <laughs> that's such a creature thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for that, Dylan. This week on the To Read List, Andrew had a book chosen at random from his shelf. Andrew, what book did you read? I read The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. Stars, stars. Did you feel with this book that, like, you fell in love with it, like, slowly, but then, like, all at once. Sorry, I take a very long pause to make fun of Bailey. <laughs> oh, okay. I did. Yes, that's a line from the book, listeners. Fall in love ahead, like Andrew. you fall asleep slowly and then all at once. So tell us, tell us about it, Andrew. This is a pretty classic book. All right. Uh, so just to give you some context, uh, The Fault in Our Stars is a book um, about the whirlwind love affair between Hazel Lancaster, who's 16, who's living with incurable cancer, and Augustus Waters, a cancer survivor, as they fall in love under the specter of Hazel's ever-present disease. Is that about an accurate statement? I know Bailey has yeah. a lot of affection for this book, so I want to make sure I'm doing it justice. No, that's great. I have a lot of affection in general for John Green, and this is being like one of my favorite ones of his, and so I think you did that perfectly. Perfectly. Good job. 
so yeah, I read this book very quickly. I don't think this is a side effect of me reading a lot of books and getting faster. I think this is genuinely just a very quick read. Um, it comes in just over 300 pages and really flies by. And part of that is because something I really liked Hazel, who's our narrator in the book, is a really compelling voice to guide you through. She, um, as I alluded to, has a kind of cancer that they don't have a cure for, but she's on a medication that is um, pretty much arresting the growth of the tumors. So they know she has some time. It could be a lot of time, but they're not sure how much. She's not on death's door per se, but she's a complication away from being very close to dying. And so she guides you through her world. She has a great balance of being funny, being very direct about like the fact that she is eventually going to die and not sort of dancing around that. She faces a lot of her problems head on, which is pretty refreshing. In a narrator, I could see a different author sort of making it much more sentimental from the beginning, mm -hmm. whereas Hazel sort of actively avoids the sentimentality for a lot of the book. And so sort of the inciting incident of this book uh, is that Hazel goes to a support group meeting for children that either are living with cancer or are cancer survivors, and she meets there Augustus Waters, a man she's never met before. Um, some people call him Gus, most people call him Augustus, who just won't stop looking at her like every good romance begins. Hubba hubba. Hubba <laughs> hubba. Things progress from there. He starts flirting with her. Eventually, they go to Augustus's house and watch the movie V for Vendetta because Augustus says she huh. looks like Natalie Portman in that movie. Ooh, connection. Connection to, the to previous list. podcast. <laughs> and it moves on from there. And so the rest of the book follows their their teenage love affair. It takes them to unexpected places. They bond over this book called An Imperial Affliction by Peter Van Houten, who I believed was a real person. <laughs> because the book opens with a quote from Peter Van Houten from this book. <laughs> Not to go into spoiler territories, but this happens relatively early in the book, and I feel fine saying it. Uh... The relationship between Hazel and Augustus deepens when Augustus, after falling for Hazel, uses his wish from like a Make-A-Wish type foundation to take them to the Netherlands to meet Peter Van Houten, the author of their book that they've both fallen in love with, who's a famous recluse who refuses to contact anybody so that they can find out what happens after the book ends because the book sort of famously ends on a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. So... John Green got me because I really believe Peter Van Houten was real until you meet the character Peter Van Houten. And then you're like, I hope this isn't a real person because <laughs> he's kind of a butthead sometimes. <laughs> yeah, he was one of those like really convincingly done sort of villain bad guy jerks. You're like, yeah. oh, I, I don't like that guy. And then you know that he did the character well. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I don't want to. It's tough to talk about this book without getting into spoily territory because it is very quick, but I don't really want to say more about that. I know probably most people who have wanted to read this book will have already read it, but that's what I'll say about the plot. So things I really liked about this book, Hazel is a great narrator. John Green has a really good knack for uh, catching you off guard with a surprisingly beautiful sentence because a lot of at least Hazel's way of speaking is very sort of modern teenager She'll throw in some big words here and then, but like it'll, it's very conversational. Um, and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden there'll be a line like what Bailey said. We fell in love like falling asleep slowly then all at once, which is sort of like an unexpectedly beautiful way of, of phrasing something. And it was yeah. so fun when those happened because they sort of came out of like what was otherwise a pretty straightforward like explanation of two teenagers hanging out. So I really liked that. Um, I liked that it was not always a nice book. 
they talk a lot about how cancer patients are like thought of as sort of saintly or how people who've died of cancer are thought of as people who fought bravely the entire time. And they talk about how that's not the case. People have awful days within their fight where they don't want to do it anymore and like not um, shying away from sort of the tough side of it. And I really appreciated that. My one orc, and I didn't really have a lot. I, I enjoyed this book overall, if that's not obvious at this point. Um, my one orc was, I was sometimes really annoyed by the character of Augustus. <laughs> He's intentionally pretty pretentious and like focused on sort of big ideas and like really into like big sweeping gestures. And mm-hmm. like to the point where he sometimes doesn't really think about how they kind of seem pretentious or buttheaded. But that's so teenager, you it know is, what I mean? And it's really accurate. It's, a, it's not really a fault. I just found myself a little annoyed with him because of how like Hazel was falling in love with him while he was doing that. I totally get it. <laughs> also, uh, can't be discounted that uh, he's described as incredibly hot. So, you know, you, he got a little bit of leeway from, leeway from Hazel that way, I guess. Totally, totally. Um, but yeah, so that was my one small orc. I was a little annoyed by him, especially in the first half of the book. Then you do get to know him more and he, he becomes a character that was more fully drawn because in the beginning, you're only sort of getting that pretentious side of it. You know what I mean? It sounds like you're saying that he's kind of like the male version of Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Like he's like too cool almost. But then once you get the real the real part of him, that you were more into it. No, he wasn't too cool. I thought he was being kind of a butthead. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Bailey, Bailey obviously liked this character quite a lot. She's like, so you think the problem with him is that he's too great so he's and too perfect, perfect and, and handsome and charming. Ideal mate. No, I, okay. I, I should say I really do like him and I came to like him a lot, but it took me a little warming up to get there with him so that was your fault because you couldn't appreciate his greatness and his charming (laughs) no no i get it you like him you just don't like him like him (laughs) (laughs) so this book is jillian's book which is why i hadn't read it yet um and it's just been sort of sitting on the shelf i know you really loved it but i just had never uh had the impulse to to pick it up and i'm I'm really glad this podcast made it because i did really enjoy it and it makes me want to seek out john green's other books uh so how many stars overall are you giving it i'm going to give it four stars nice Nice. I don't believe there's any fault in four stars. Uh, uh, but yes, I really did enjoy it. And anyone who's looking at a copy in your house that maybe you don't own and is like, oh, has thought about picking that up, I encourage you to do so. Excellent. Nice review. Good job, Andrew. Uh, Toby, do you have any facts? Yes, I do. Um, so um, John Michael Green. Surprise, surprise. He's got a middle name. <gasps> and such an exotic one. Michael. Uh, he's an American author, and he's also a really big YouTuber. Yeah. You guys know this? Yeah, with his yeah. brother. Yeah, I did not know any of this. Uh, in terms of his books, because he's had a lot of success with uh, his books, there's a term called greenlit that was coined by A.J. Jacobs of the New York Times. Um, the term describes young adult books that contain, quote, sharp dialogue, defective authority figures, occasional boozing, unrequited crushes, and one or more heartbreaking twists. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I say that's up my alley, too. That's that's my brand right there. Bailey is all about that occasional boozing. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 2007, um, he launched the Vlogbrothers channel with his brother, Hank Green, uh, and that has grown into a whole empire. And honestly, it's so sprawling um, and so big that I, to go over it all would be kind of boring. So I just picked out some interesting facts about it. They have a community of fans known individually as nerd fighters and collectively as nerd fighteria. (laughs) 
um there's a there, they did a part on the show called the brotherhood 2.0 project which sounds pretty interesting actually it was based on the premise that the brothers would cease all text-based communication for one year and instead converse by video blogs every weekday so basically, they didn't email each other ever. They didn't send each other text messages. They just sent each other video blogs that were also available to the general public as they were uploaded. Wow. So it would be like if the only way you ever talked to Andrew would be to put it on your YouTube channel that everyone else could see. Or in a podcast that we're recording. Yeah. We do, it's, it's we do this and exclusively cat gifts. That's it. Mm-hmm. More facts about uh, The Fault in Our Stars. Um, Green came up with the core idea about 10 years before he wrote the book while he was serving as a chaplain at a children's hospital. Then later in his life, he met the real-life inspiration for the narrator of the book. Um, and the real-life inspiration is a young girl um, who did have cancer named Esther Earl. They met at a Harry Potter conference in 2009. Nice. Uh, he said he did not dance and neither did this girl. So they ended up talking in the back of the room and became friends. And he just talks about um, her being the inspiration for The Fault in Our Stars. Here's a quote from him. I could never have written this if I hadn't known Esther. She introduced me to a lot of the ideas in the book, especially hope in a world that is indifferent to individuals and empathy. She redefined the process of dying young for me. Walking out of the hospital in 2000, I knew I wanted to write a story about sick kids, but I was so angry, so furious with the world that these terrible things could happen and that they weren't even rare or uncommon. And I think in the end, for the first 10 years or so, I could never write it because I was just too angry and I wasn't able to capture the complexity of the world. I wanted the book to be funny. I wanted the book to be unsentimental. After meeting Esther, I felt very differently about whether a short life could be a rich life. Oh, Very intense. That's really and nice. then um, just to cap us off with something a little bit lighter, <laughs> um, we always like to hear about uh, weird authors and what they do to write. They asked him if he has any writing rituals, such as stuffing himself in a cupboard, writing upside down. Writing naked like Victor Hugo. Mm-hmm. Um, so he does write naked. Uh, no. Uh, he says, the only thing I do is I change my keyboard between every book. I usually shop around. I'm very passionate about the physical feel of pressing the keys. It's got to have the right springiness. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's John Green. I feel bad for the old keyboards. They're like, didn't I do a good job? You wrote on me. You wrote <laughs> paper towns on me. Does abundance of Catherine's mean nothing to you? <laughs> well, nice one. Good one. Thank you. Excellent facts, Toby. And Thank excellent you. review, Andrew. And excellent recording, Dylan. Bailey, nice. step up your game. Wow. Bailey, did you have a book this week? Yeah, crazy, right? Whoa. It was my turn? No way. Anyway, my book is... My year of rest and relaxation. I didn't do any research for Bailey's book. I didn't know she had a book this week. Though. <sighs> You're lying. <laughs> my book was My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Otessa Mosfeg. Woo! Woo! So I'm just going to say it right now. I am afraid of this review. I'm a bit nervous because everybody, not everybody, a lot of people love this book. I love this book. And it's very, like, beautifully written and very smart book. And I'm worried that I am not smart enough for it. So I'm just going to do my best. I got the same impression as you. Like, there's probably things in here that are going over my head. But then you would never know this, and I didn't know it until I did my research. Mm-hmm. Otessa Mosfeg um, seems to be very down with people kind of interacting with her books at the level that they want to interact with them. Great, okay. You know, they're not meant to be like, well, you need to look this up if you don't understand it. And if you don't understand it, you're not worthy of the book. It's just more like... If you enjoy it and you get something out of it, she's very much on board with that journey. Excellent. That makes me feel better. I was yeah. afraid that this review wasn't going to be erudite enough, but it's just going to be Bailey enough, you know? Well, you just used the word erudite, so you're probably fine. So it's an unnamed protagonist. Her parents have just died uh, within a few months of each other. 
and she's depressed and she believes that if she goes to sleep for an entire year when she wakes up she'll have a different attitude and she'll be a new person so in order to do that she's a very privileged woman just graduated from columbia she you know owns her apartment she has all all the money she needs she goes to the psychiatrist and basically this is a terrible psychiatrist and she convinces her to give her all of the medications that will just let her sleep and so that's the plot so let's jump right in with mm-hmm. the stuff that i liked one of them was the psychiatrist. It, she's, <laughs> she's like it, amazing. It, it reminds me of um, you're talking about the character uh, Peter Van Houten in um, Fault in Our Stars. It's like just crazy character villain that you love to hate. Her name is Dr. Tuttle. I'm already on board with that name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to read a description of her office so you can get a sense of, of this Dr. Tuttle. So she's just going to her office for the first time, her office being in her apartment after she's found her online. Page 20. The first time I met Dr. Tuttle, she wore a foam neck brace because of a, quote, taxi accident and was holding an obese tabby whom she introduced as, quote, my eldest. (laughs) She pointed out the tiny yellow envelopes in the waiting room. When you come in, write your name on an envelope and fold your check inside. Payments go in here, she said, knocking on the wooden box on the desk in her office. It was the kind of box they have in churches for accepting donations for candles. The fainting couch in her office was covered in cat fur and piled on one end with little antique dolls with chipped porcelain faces. On her desk were half-eaten granola bars and a stacked Tupperware container of grapes and cut-up melon, a mammoth old computer, more National Geographic magazines. Uh, <laughs> it brings me back. I love this book. In that quote, you can see what an amazing writer Otessa Mosvig is. It's very easy to read, but at the same time, she hits you with some beautiful, deep, Uh, moments kind of like John Green but the characterization is so good of this Dr. Tuttle because she's larger than life it feels satirical but at the same time really relatable like I can totally imagine that person like is there a real person like that I don't know but I can picture her oh yeah 100% there is yeah yeah there probably are people that are exactly like that maybe not exactly but very weird like that but the characterization is so great and because a lot of it is just about this unnamed narrator in her apartment Um, over one year there aren't that many characters you know it's her it's dr tuttle it's her terrible boyfriend oh yeah who's um basically a little bit like abusive to her Mm -hmm. and then her friend reva who you just you just feel bad for reva because she's the only one basically that she's talking to the entire year she just keeps showing up and the unnamed narrator is just really cruel to Reva. But you also hate Reva, too. But she's, like, she's also so, so pa- annoying. She's so annoying and so pathetic, where it's like, you don't want to hate her because it feels bad to hate someone so pathetic, but they're so pathetic that it enrages you. Absolutely. It's that kind of, oof. Yeah. So, things I loved, characterizations. Um, the writing was beautifully done. It's darkly funny, satirical. I found it to be a really fast read, except I had to slow myself down just because there were parts of it that were just a little bit hard to read. It kind of puts you in a weird headspace. Yeah. So I had to take little breaks because otherwise I felt like I was also laying in bed all for an entire year. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. I listened to this on audiobook, and if I listened to it for too much per day, I would be like, ooh, wow. Like it's funny and it's it is well written and engaging, but it will bum you out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I'm interested to hear if you felt this, Toby, and this is, again, you know, like this character, I'm not the same, but I come from, you know, a place of privilege in that there's something appealing about what she wants to do. Oh, yeah. Like, she talks about being a somnophile, like just loving sleeping and being able to escape the world. Mm-hmm. And although it's completely irresponsible and absolutely crazy, especially like when she starts taking meds where she's blacking out and she doesn't even know what she's doing, 
there's parts of me that's like, oh, it sounds really nice to just be sleeping. Yeah, and I think the the genius behind this is that, uh, you know, to, it's always fun to see someone commit to something 100%. Yeah. And she just does it. She just is like, this is an idea. I don't care if it's harmful. I don't care if it's irresponsible. I'm going for it. No second guessing. She just makes it happen. Yeah. And that's enjoyable to watch happen. And it feels like, you know, as someone who has, you know, suffered from depression before, it feels like sort of just an exaggerated version of it where you're just like, okay, no, let's just get in there and get it all out. Like if we do it all at once, mm-hmm. maybe then it will be better. It's just, it's provocative, I thought. Really provocative well, and it idea. Also, I, I really like that she chose, she goes out of her way to be like, I have everything. Right. I have all the money I could ever need. I, she describes herself accurately as e- e- obscenely attractive. Right. Um, she's talented. She graduated from Columbia. She is doing well at her job. She's very intelligent. And she's miserable. Yeah. And I find that, you know, I think there are people who would be like, this is totally unrelatable. Why is this person whining about anything? But, you know, if you struggle from depression, you struggle from depression. Yeah. You know? So I think that's, uh, you know, part of what Moshevig is saying here. Yeah. It feels very purposeful, you yeah. know, that this is supposed to be somebody who has everything and yet she has nothing. Um, this is something I found online and people were reviewing it on Goodreads or what have you. Some people didn't like it. I liked it. The book takes place in 2000 to 2001. And so there starts to be sort of this creeping, like, you know what's going to happen in a few months in 2001. Because it all takes place in New York. I don't know if in we New mentioned York. that yet. Yeah, it's in Manhattan. You know, characters will be like, I just got a job at the World Trade Center. And you're like, oh. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, to me, it sort of insidiously crept up and became more interesting to me, that the idea that she's about to wake up literally and then to have this crazy thing happen and yep. the whole country is about to wake up so i found that very interesting provocative but some people have thought it was a little cheesy cheap. and cheap i disagree with them entirely yeah i think it's it could have been cheesy and cheap it could have been delivered in a way that was cheapened or used for cheap thrills but yeah. i think it's she's a very talented writer and she yeah it's an interesting idea yeah so and i'm not saying well. anything about what's happening i'm just saying like as you're reading it becomes obvious that we're oh, in yeah. 2001 something's gonna happen yeah this book to me had just sort of a je ne sais quoi. <laughs> it had the sense of just a five-star book. Yeah. And I don't really know why. I don't know if I can exactly articulate why a book about somebody wanting to sleep for a year felt like a five-star, but it's just like, oh, no, I like this book. This is five stars for me. Absolutely. I felt the exact same way about it. I, I love this book. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all are making me want to read this book. Oh, I think you'd really like it. So, yeah, for me, five stars. Um, It is controversial. Some people just don't engage with it don't get it, don't understand why they're reading a whole novel about this. So it might not be for you, but if, you know, that quote interested you, if, if the review interested you, check it out. Definitely. All right, Toby, do you have any facts? I got some facts. He's got some facts. <laughs> I got some facts. I got some facts. Okay, Otessa Moshvig. Um, she was born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1981. Her mother was born in Croatia, and her father, who is Jewish, was born in Iran. Her parents were both musicians and taught at the New England Conservatory of Music. As a child, Moshveg learned to play piano and clarinet. Uh, she got her BA from Barnard in 2002, um, and then she moved briefly to China, where she taught English and worked at a punk bar. Um, in her mid-20s, she moved back to New York City, or she moved to New York City, um, she worked for Overlook Press and then as an assistant for Gene Stein. Um, I really wanted more details on this, but this just this one sentence. After contracting cat scratch fever, <gasps> she left the city and earned an MFA from Brown University. 
Here's the thing. So that's People one joke about cat scratch fever. It's a real thing. Oh, yeah. It messes you up. Yeah. You can okay. have it for a year. I looked up I looked up what cat, cat scratch fever is. It doesn't look that that bad, but it looks like it really sucks, and it can last up to a year. I wonder. She must have a cat. Respect. Hopefully. <laughs> Respect. So, yeah, I just wanted to say um, she obviously attended two uh, pretty hoity-toity colleges. Um, and uh, in my year of le- rest and relaxation, obviously the main character does also attend uh, a pretty pre- prestigious university. And she kind of is able to lampoon that, that kind of whole society really well from the inside, I think. So she's kind of poking fun at herself in a way? I believe so, yeah. Cool. And maybe the people she went to school with. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is her third novel and fourth published work. Um, she had a novella called McGlue that came out in 2014. Um, I looked up some details on that. It sounds very interesting. Uh, McGlue is a story about a homeless, illiterate, lascivious drunk uh, who has little respect for authority. Um, he's imprisoned aboard a ship en route to Salem, Massachusetts. I believe it takes place in like the late 1800s. It's a cra- it sounds like a crazy book. It sounds like very different from this book. Well, I, the pattern you can see, which happens, I think, with a lot of these authors, is that they her books go from totally crazy and like maybe some people liked it and then this is probably her most well liked and maybe most easily readable she published her novel eileen in 2015 i've read eileen imagine my year of rest and relaxation without any of the fun and just the grim grim depressing parts and that then, sounds very and then grim. cranked way up in the grim and depressing wow it's still amazing writing it is not a fun read i barely got through it okay I was actually reluctant to read this one because I was like, oh, I don't know if I can handle another Eileen. But mm-hmm. this one is much more readable, in my opinion. And then she has another um, collection of short stories called Homesick for Another World that came out in 2017. My Year of Rest and Relaxation came out in 2018. And this has been her by far her biggest, biggest success. But people came to notice her with Eileen um, because it's uh, very stylish. Um, she was shortlisted for the 2016 Booker Prize for Eileen. Uh, she let slip on in kind of the interview circuit for Eileen that she wrote the book Eileen with help from a guide called the 90 day novel and she did it in a super calculated move to hit it big as an author she was like I want to make I want to make money as an author I published McGlue that you know the critics loved and nobody read Um, and here's her quote that she got uh, in big trouble for okay quote I needed to write something that was going to be reminiscent of that crap that people are used to how do you expect me to make a living? I'm not going to be making cappuccinos. I'm effing brilliant. Wow. And people have theorized that they didn't give her the Booker Prize for this because, I mean, it's a theory. Who knows what? But there's word in this. The scuttlebutt is if you tell people in interviews that you wrote this using the 90-day novel in an attempt to make money and that you're effing brilliant, maybe it's not the best play to win your prize. Yeah. So um, the rest of these are from an interview um, with Otessa Moschweg. Um, the first one is about process. Um, and uh, Otessa says, I'm an early riser and I generate work mostly in the mornings. I'll work until lunch and whatever happens after is a bonus. After noon or one o'clock, my brain can't, shouldn't, or doesn't want to create anymore. I haven't gotten adulterated by the world yet in the morning. And I feel that I'm in a private space with my draft. I eat the same thing for breakfast every day, toast with almond butter and jam. And it's my way to settle into a private space with my book. Okay. 
the interviewer asked her how she knows whether a project is worth pursuing. And she said, and this will be obvious to anyone who's read Eileen or even um, A Year of Rest and Relaxation. She says, it's usually when a character immediately feels like a person I have a relationship with. And I can identify the weirdness of the rapport as something that's familiar to me. It's not that I like them, but I do feel I'm in a special position to observe them and love them. I don't ever remember loving my character in my year, uh, as in my year of rest and relaxation, but I had a great sympathy for her as well as the distance required to write something that was heartfelt and somewhat satirical. Those are the characters I love the most, when I can be part of them and impose myself in them, and we can grow together as a conjoined twin. I love that. I like the way that she says that, because a lot of people say, this character is not relatable, this character is not fun. And it's like, this character is not somebody I'd want to be friends with, but it's somebody that I love reading about. I love reading her book and understanding her perspective. Yes, I think that's something she's gotten a lot of credit for, is her female characters owe you nothing. Mm -hmm. So that interview was from Guernica Magazine, an interview with Mary Wang. Um, And just one more comment. I did want to put her quote where she said she was effing brilliant at the beginning uh, because it is an obnoxious thing to say. But then I think that her interview and these books kind of back her up. She seems I mean, she kind of is, yeah. Yeah, I I probably agree with her. My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Otessa Mosvig, five stars. And I'll double down. I'll say I give it five stars, too. Nice. Ooh, all right. I got to read it. All right, Andrew, do you have a game for us? I do. All right. (laughs) Come on, let's get excited about it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. The game this week is called One Year of Dutch. The way this game is going to work is I am going to give you dates throughout the year, going from January to December, and you're going to have to match the historical event that occurred on that date. I'm going to give you the month and the year, and it's going to be in three rounds. We're going to do a round that's January through April, a round that's May through August, and a round that's September through December. Okay. You will each answer all of them, and whoever has the most at the end will win. So what do you mean by match? So if, for example, I gave you a list that was July 1776 and March 1990, and two events that were when I was born and when the Declaration of Independence was signed, Mm, you'd have to match those together. Got it. So you were born in 1776. Exactly. I'm very, very old. All of Andrew's teeth are wood. (laughs) Is this game making sense to you guys? Yes. Yes, it makes sense to me. Makes sense to me as well. Everyone's going to answer each of them, and I'm going to give you four at a time. Don't try to cheat off each other, and to try to avoid that, we're going to alternate who goes first. Bailey is going to go first, but Toby, pay attention to decide if you want to keep your answers the same as Bailey, or if you want to switch any of them. You got it. You might want a piece of paper to write down these dates. January 2016. February 1864. March, 1853, and April, 1969. Do you have those all written down? Yes. These are all going to be famous events in Dutch history. Okay. And here are the events. Vincent van Gogh was born. The end of John Lennon and Yoko Ono's bed-in for peace in Amsterdam. Mm. Gerard Heineken acquires his first brewery and the expiration of the Dutch copyright for The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank. Expiration of The Diary of Anne Frank's copyright, Heineken's first brewery, Van Gogh born, and John and Yoko's Bed in for Peace ends. I got this. I, I know them all. January 2016, expiration of copyright. I think February 1864. I'm going to say Vincent Van Gogh born. Uh, March 1853, I'm going to say Heineken. And then April 1969 is John and Yoko's bed-in. 
Toby, okay. would you like to switch or keep? Yeah, now here's my here's my strategy. I think she's right, but you can't win this game without a gamble. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say same answers except Flip, Heineken, and Vincent Van Gogh. Those were the ones I wasn't sure. Yeah. All right, so I'm putting this into the computer calculator. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, Toby is completely correct. Yeah. With four points, Bailey gets two points for getting the Dutch copies expiration and the end of John and Yoko's bed in for peace, but flipping Van Gogh and Heineken. Van Gogh. All right, Toby, you get to go. You get to go first this time, so no strategy. No strategy. All right, May 1920, June 1870, July 1928, mm-hmm. and August 1949. Do you have those written okay. down? Yes, I do. Here are the events. The first flight of Royal Dutch Airlines, known as KLM, Amstel Brewery opened, the Netherlands joined NATO, and the opening of the Summer Olympics held in Amsterdam. Wow. First flight of KLM, opening of Amstel Brewery, Netherlands joining NATO, and opening of the Summer Olympics held in Amsterdam. Okay. I'm terrible at history. I'm going to say NATO 1949. Okay, I'm going to say Flight of KLM 28. I'm going to say Summer Olympics 1920 and Amstel Brewery 1870. Bailey, would you like to keep or switch anything? I think just to be different, I'm going to switch NATO and Olympics. You're switching NATO and Olympics. I don't remember if... Wait, no. I want to undo that. See, here's the thing, because I just remembered that NATO came after World War II and League of Nations was after the World War I. So I don't want to switch it. Yeah, that was my exact uh, reasoning behind all that. So I'm going to keep it. Ooh, 100%. Ooh. Bailey thinks how smart. Ooh, well, Bailey is a fool. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, not a fool, but you only, you both only got two correct. Uh, Toby had in his answer the opening of the Olympics, which was in 1928, switched with KLM, whose first mm. flight was in 1920. So those 1920, 1928s okay. were flip-flopped. I'm still proud of myself. I feel like that was much harder than the first ones. Okay, Toby. <laughs> <laughs> so just checking on the score here, Bailey has four and Toby has six. The game is still very much in hand and either person could win. Now, this round is going to be the hardest. Hooray. Get excited. I'm amped. You're going to hate me I'm for it. I'm actually pretty excited. I'm in, I'm in the lead. <laughs> Toby, are you Amsterdam? I'm Amsterdammed. <laughs> All right, Bailey, you get to go first this time. Excellent. Here are the dates. <laughs> September 1962. Oh, I know what happened then. Yeah, you did. October 1917. November 1990. December 2003. Got it. Ready for the events? Yep. Dutch soccer player Rude Gullet is born. Are these going to be all soccer facts? <laughs> nope. Okay. Jorginho Wijnaldum, Dutch soccer player. <laughs> no, I knew it. I knew it. Wait, okay. So the first guy was Rude oh, something? It's just a guessing Rude Gullet. Okay. Rude Gullet. R-U-U-D-G-U-L-L-I-T. Okay. What was the second guy's name? Jorginho Wijnaldum. <laughs> okay. Katharina Amalia, Princess of Orange and Dutch soccer player. I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's not a Dutch soccer player, oh. but she is the heir apparent to the Dutch throne, is born, and Matahari is executed. Okay. I know that one. So there is a theme here. <laughs> And then there's one that does not fit the theme. Okay, well, the Matahari was executed in 1917. I like how you call her the Matahari. Matahari was executed in 1917. I mean, I think, Katerina, if she's the current heir apparent, 
How much do you know about your Dutch royal family? Very little. I'm going to say 1962. I'm going to say soccer players, they got to be young, right? So Rude Gullet was born in 2000. No, he, he was born in 1990 and Jorginho was born in 2003. Thank you, Bailey. Toby, do you have any switches you'd like to make? I'm going to keep uh, the Matahari because I All don't right. know what that is. I'm barely signed sure. Wow. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, which one was the heir apparent? Catherine of Orange. Uh, I'm going to say she's 1990. And I'm going to say Rude Gullet is 62. Jorginho is 2003. All right. Bailey has gotten one point for that <gasps> round. <laughs> Toby got two points for that yes! round. Yes! <laughs> Um, Matahari, you both got correct. Toby Happier. guessed correctly that Rude Gullet was born in 1962, but you guys both overestimated how old Catherine Amalia is. She's only 15. Wow. Um, she was <laughs> born in 2003, and Georgina Wijnaldum was born in 1990. So, nice. Toby beat me. Toby wins eight points to five. Hooray! <laughs> Toby is the king of the Dutch, much like the current <laughs> king, right. who moonlights as a f- pilot on KLM. Oh, oh, yeah, I didn't know nice. that. Excellent. Well, he still doesn't know who Matahari is, so cutting to Dylan. <laughs> All right, Dylan, it's that time in the podcast where you choose two books at random from our shelf for us to read. It is The, the Choosening. Choosening. The Choosening. The, the choosing. <laughs> uh, Andrew, I hope your Scottish lessons have paid off because you have number 54, Outlander by Diana Gabaldon. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, I am excited to hear you talk about this one. I am so psyched to hear your review. Have you read this, Bailey? No, I haven't. I've never read it. Oh, okay. Bailey. It's, it's the huge. number two book according to PBS. You're yeah. right. I should read it too. I am just thrilled, yes, that I'm getting to read the second best book of all time according to The Great American Read. <laughs> 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 Honestly, this this right here is what is exciting about this podcast. A book I would probably never read mm-hmm. that I'm being forced to. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm just pulling the copy off my shelf, and it is thick. I better get started. <laughs> I, I hope it doesn't awaken anything in you. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it does. And Bailey doesn't have anything too crazy or out of the ordinary because she has number 76, Normal People by Sally Rooney. Nice. Oh, yes. I got two, like, new books in a row. I love this. This is another five-star book for me. Toby makes me feel bad because he's read every book. <laughs> yeah, Toby has read a lot. I'm very excited for you to read this. It is one of those rare books where it's beautifully written, it's artistic, and there's like a there's like a romance. It's like a drama. It's like you feel guilty because it's like it's like soap opera level of like will they, won't they, what's happening. Why would I feel it's guilty? That very, sounds amazing. It's very enjoyable. I guess not a guilty at all. There you go. Nice. I'm excited. I can't wait. Listeners. Get ready. All right. Uh, next week on the podcast, we will have a mini sode. We're going to do a quiz. And then in two weeks, it will be Toby reading East of Eden by John Steinbeck. And I will be reading Normal People by Sally Rooney. Ha-cha-cha. This is exciting. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the To Read List podcast and on Twitter at To Read List pod. And if you enjoyed this dissection of lovely books, please go take your scalpel and poke it at your phone and write us five stars. <laughs> I, I'm going to stick with it. Uh, and apply suction in the necessary places so that you get us a five-star review on iTunes. Andrew, cut him off, please. And uh, yeah, it really helps us a lot. Please do it. Bye. <laughs> 
to be clear, you should go to your podcast app of choice and rate <laughs> us five stars and leave a review. But beyond that, if you have uh, anyone in your life who you think would enjoy this podcast, uh, please tell them about it. Uh, word of mouth is our best way of finding new people. And every once in a while, you have to talk to Uncle Frank. Thank you. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you next week. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books, books. books. Outlander.